Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm so excited about, can you tell I'm excited today? I'm excited. I just, I love the Word. I love, the Word has so transformed my life. The Word of God and being together as the people of God presents an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring things out that maybe, you know, he, you, can, you can study and you can get some things and the Holy Spirit can, can speak some things, but we get to participate as the Holy Spirit brings things to light that ministers to other people. We're like, ooh, that was good. I'm going to save that. I'm going I'm to take that for me too. Amen? And so the Word of God is the light for our life. The Word of God is the spiritual nutrition for our walk with God. And if we will allow the Word to always be exciting to us, if we'll look at our time together in the Word of God as something that we're privileged to get, and we don't ever want to miss the opportunity together together in the name of Jesus and receive from the Word, if we'll, if we'll condition ourselves to think correctly about this time, we'll come with an eagerness and an anticipation because the Holy Spirit is always ready to dish up good, healthy, good, good, good food for His people. Amen? And um, the Word has a way of preparing us even in advance. That's a, I used the word earlier, the word inoculate. There are some things that the Holy Spirit will have us as pastors to minister, not because it's something that's going on, but it's something to pre- prevent it from going on or to help us to be strengthened so that when a temptation comes or when an opportunity comes, we'll be able to recognize it and say, hey, wait a minute, my pastor already warned me. The Holy Spirit already prepared me to to know to resist that, to know how to say uh, uh, no thank you to that temptation. And so uh, this is one of those series, this is one of those teachings that the Holy Spirit is fortifying us with. He's edifying us. And, you know, for anything that we receive from God, we need faith. And faith comes through the hearing of the word proclaimed or the the word, the the rhema word, the word preached, the word spoken, the word that's made alive to us. And there are some things that we're not going to enter into until under the unction of the Holy Spirit, those things are uttered in a way that they become life in us, that they land in us. And there are, for instance, uh, aspects of our righteousness. And I know I've been teaching on righteousness for a number of years now, just really seeing how vital it is for us to have faith in the righteousness we are in Christ. Even though I was made righteous in Christ the moment I received Jesus as Lord, I didn't benefit as much as I benefit from that righteousness today because I didn't have faith in it. I didn't have faith for it. I didn't believe that I was the righteousness of God. I had just been born again. I was new to the things of God. And when they said, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I thought, what? Are you kidding me? Do you know where I've been, what I've done, and how I have acted? I'm, I didn't, I, and then I would say, I don't feel righteous. And then I had to learn that righteousness is not a feeling. It does not come by feeling it. <laughs> It it is mine now because Jesus was made sin for me, but it took faith in that righteousness. And that's what Romans 10 says, the righteousness which is of faith. So faith brings that working righteousness alive to me, and I'm able to interact 
as the righteousness of God in Christ because now I have faith. So one of the greatest things we can use our faith for are the spiritual things that are already ours in Christ. It's one of the greatest applications of our faith. A lot of times because it's something that is the pressing need, we end up using faith for finances or using faith for healing first because those might have been the reason we came to the message of faith to learn how to work my faith. I I need to receive this healing, but I have to receive it by faith, so let me learn how to work faith. And so we're learning for that receiving or a person who recognizes that if I will grow in faith in this area of the financial promises or the financial system that God has made mine, then they're learning to use faith for that area. But one of the most important things for us to develop our faith concerning is the, the, the provision that has been made ours in the new birth, the, who we are in Christ, what is ours in Christ, what we, how we're able to live now in Christ. And if you would have come to me the day I got saved and told me it is possible for you to go days and days and even weeks and months without sinning, I would have laughed at you. I would have laughed at you because I, I, for me, that was not something that I, I, I saw myself as a sinner. I had practiced sin and I was a pretty good sinner. I was highly developed in sin. And for you to tell me that it's possible for me to, to go 24 hours without sinning, I thought that was unheard of. I thought, does anybody... See, I thought everybody smoked pot too. Everybody I knew smoked pot, right? I thought everybody smokes pot or drinks. If they don't, they're just lying about it. Because everybody I knew was living that kind of lifestyle. And then I, I met some people who didn't smoke or drink or get high or anything. I'm like, wow. Wow. I'm serious, y'all. I am so serious. I just thought everybody gets high. Because everybody I knew got high. The renewing of the mind. The application of our faith for us to live according to the word and access the the authority and the ability that is ours by the new birth is it's enough to keep you so busy you'll never have to to waste any time on Facebook or or flipping channels on your remote. You'll be saying, you know what, if I really gave my attention to finding out who I am. If I really made myself occupied with understanding the ability I have as a new creature in Christ Jesus, that I can live above sin, that I am no longer a debtor to sin, that I I do not have to obey the temptation to sin, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I can enter into the presence of God and talk to him face-to-face as a child, as a, a, a child who is clean, a child who is justified. I don't have to come in and apologize for 30 minutes in every conversation I have with God and say, I'm so sorry, I'm a failure here and I'm a failure there and I'm so unworthy here. And, and he's like, who are you talking about? I washed you. That's not who you are. But for me to activate or operate in that, I have to have faith. So I've said it before and I'll say it again. Pastor Caldwell has taught this for years. It's in E.W. Kenyon's teachings even. There's a legal side and a vital side of redemption. The legal side is everything that the Bible says belongs to you. But a lot of times people look at their lives and they look at the the legal provision of what the word says is theirs and they say, I don't have in my life what this Bible says I should have. I'm not walking like that. I'm not experiencing that. I don't know how to have that. And it's because of the, the legal side for us to live in the legal provision of what is ours by the covenant, we've got to bring our faith up 
And to bring our faith up, it's got to be declared to us. It has to be uttered. It has to be, it has to be conveyed from the page into a form that it's alive in us. You can get it by meditating the word yourself, or you can get it by uh, the unction of the Holy Spirit preaching the, the word, but regardless. So there are some things that pastor and I preach because we're, we're walking in what's legally ours. We're wanting to move us all into what is legally ours. And so to, this is one of those such, and this is all just, I'm trying to lay the foundation for you to see the importance of what we're going to learn today and this evening. That for you and I to walk in the full, vital reality of what is ours legally, we're going to have to spend some time in the Word with these things. So 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3 I'm going to read an instruction that's given to the New Testament church and specifically to leaders. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, able to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil." So he gives this, moreover, verse 7, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I, wanna, I want you to underline that, the snare of the devil. He's talking about a believer, a leader, someone who is taking a position in the church and giving examples of what the lifestyle requirement or criteria of this person needs to be. Now, that's not saying that only the leaders in the church are, are required to live that way or, or I don't have to do that because I'm not a leader. He's saying this is the example that we're setting and so we're making it clear that as a leader, you want to be portraying this, this life of, of holiness, this life of right standing, this life of living pure and, and self-controlled in, in the sight of people because we are influencing the people of God. That doesn't mean the people of God are exempt from having to live that same lifestyle. It just means that as a leader, you definitely have to realize you are exampling and modeling for the people who you are leading in that church how we are to live. So it's not saying, I have to live this way, but you don't. It's saying, I have to live this way because I want you to see we can do this. I want you to see this is the best way. I want you to see there's safety in this. Amen? And he says here, verse 6, he uses the phrase, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Verse 7, it says, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So the enemy has a snare. He has a snare that we need to be aware that there is a snare. He would like to trip us. He would like to cause us to stumble. He would like to get his hooks in, in the people of God. But he is not able to without our participation. So if we will live in line with the word of God, we'll live safe from the snare of the enemy. We'll live without without stepping into the trap that he tries to set. So there is a lifestyle of the believer that is free from the snare of the enemy. Ephesians 6 talks about our, our equipment in Christ. 
says that we have the armor of God and that we need to have that armor firmly in place. And rather than looking at the the illustration that's given in Ephesians 6, I want to give more emphasis to the actual strengths that are illustrated by those illustrations. So instead of saying the shield, instead of saying a helmet, instead of saying the shoes, I want us to find the peace. I want us to find the righteousness. I want us to see the salvation uh, so that we're not uh, just uh, limiting to those specific pieces of the Roman soldier's clothing or armor, but we're seeing that God has supplied salvation. And that salvation needs to be uh, something that protects the way we perceive things, that it protects our thoughts, that it protects our perceptions. Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, or we would say, put on every provision that's ours in God. Put on every equipping that he made available to us. Put it on. Who does that? Your pastor doesn't put your provision on for you. Your pastor doesn't put your righteousness on. Your pastor doesn't put your peace on for you. We individually We need to put on the salvation and put on the peace and put on the righteousness and the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to to take our faith and resist every, every fiery dart of the wicked. We need to take our faith and do that. We need to take the salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So he says... Take this armor, put on this armor, because in verse 11 again, by putting on the armor, you will be able to stand against. You will be able to successfully resist every strategy the enemy would bring against you. Every wile, every trick, every deception. Wiles, if you ever watched the the, uh, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner on, on the, the cartoons, the wily Coyote was always looking for a sneaky, deceptive trickery that he could work on that Roadrunner. And the Road, listen, we are the Roadrunner if we're in Christ. We're the Roadrunner. No matter what he drops, no matter what he gets from Acme, Acme Corporation and tries to build and drop on us. We're just going to keep going right past it, moving right along, because in Christ, with this equipping, we are able to stand against every wile, every deception, every attack, every onslaught, every temptation of the devil. But we have to be using what's ours in Christ. We have to be developing ourselves in this righteousness in this faith in the word of God so that we can stand against and then it says in this uh, next verse for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places so we do wrestle against them and we're able to wrestle successfully. Our wrestling is not a hang, tying a knot at the end of the rope and hanging on kind of wrestling. It's not a poor, gloomy, desperate, miserable, I'm hanging on and the devil's beating me up and I'm tore up from the floor up. No, no, we're, we're dressed in Christ. We're dressed in Christ. We're equipped in Christ. We are able to stand. We've already get, been given the victory. We're not trying to get victory. We're just standing against in the victory that's ours. We're taking the victory that he's made ours, and we're applying it against everything the enemy tries to do. And because we're in Christ, victory is always available. Victory is always ours. We never have to ask for it 
It's already ours in Christ. We just have to believe it and apply it. We have to stand in it. And we have to stand victorious. And so if we believe that we are victorious, we're not crying about it. If we believe that we are victorious, we're not worried about how long it's taken. If we believe that we're victorious, we're victorious. We're smiling with our victory. We're standing with our victory. We're strong in our victory. Hallelujah. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle. We do stand against with this faith, resisting the principalities, the the powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not, we're not, um, we're not clueless to that. We, We recognize there is an adversary, but we also recognize in Christ I have the victory. So we want to be sober about that. We want to be, we want to be sound and have the correct viewpoint and perception about that. I'm not walking around along tiptoeing through the tulips, acting like, oh, there's no problem and nothing's a matter. No, I do know there's an enemy. And so that's why I'm going to maintain my position in Christ. And that's why I'm going to to strengthen myself in what he's made available to me for this provision to be victorious. And so he says, we've got to put on the armor. He says in verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having your loins girt about with truth, having on your righteousness, your feet, having the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith, taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto. So these are action verbs for us. You take, you put on, you take it to yourself. You take the faith, you take the helmet. These are our actions that we are doing because of what's available in in Christ. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 through 9. So we're, we're becoming aware that there is a snare of the enemy. There is a snare of the enemy, but it never has to trip us up. Um, this is one of the greatest faith messages you'll ever hear. There is a snare of the enemy, but it never has to trip you up. This is faith in the, in, in the fact that we can walk victoriously. Faith in the fact that we can walk free of every temptation, that we can walk through this, the rest of our days on this earth until the Lord comes or we go by the way of the great after we've lived a long, satisfying life. My days on this earth are, it is possible for me to live out these days with full victory and walking above every attack that the enemy would bring. 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. God does not humble us for us. Some of you may have heard, you know, you've got, God's going to humble you. He's doing that. He's put you through this difficult thing to humble you. No, the thing may come because I was proud, (laughs) The, the diff- but pride did that, not God. Pride is what opened the door to the destruction. Pride is what opened the door to that adversity being able to get in. It wasn't God. It says, if I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God, humble myself under God's direction, you could say, under God's governing, the hand of God governs me. So humble yourself under the hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. I don't need to exalt myself. I need to humble myself. If I need to be exalted in any situation, let God do it. I don't want to do it. Let God do it. I want to humble myself. Hallelujah. Casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober 
be vigilant. That's our part. That's a specific New Testament instruction. You be sober. Be vigilant. This is talking about being aware. In other words, don't be clueless. Don't be tiptoeing through the tulips. Be aware. Be aware. Situational awareness. Be aware that you are operating in this earth where the curse is freely flowing. Be aware of that. There is a curse on the earth, and it's working, but it's not working on me. Why? I've taken my shield, and I've resisted the operation of the curse. I have humbled myself and positioned myself under the hand of God where the blessing is governing me. So do you see, my part then is my choice to position myself, my choice to humble myself, but I'm sober to realize that it is there. So when you hear the, the questions go around and every few years we'll see somebody bringing up the questions, why do bad things happen to good people? Because there's the devil loose. There's a curse on the earth. And most of the time it's because they lacked knowledge. My people perish. God said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And so if they knew how to resist, if they knew how to humble themselves, if they knew how, or there have been things in in my life that the enemy got over on me before I was aware it was him working. And then I'm watching you now. I'm aware that won't happen to me again. Why I, I learned it, the, the, uh, instead of me being aware of what the Holy Spirit was trying to warn me about, instead of me uh, being, uh, shutting those doors to the enemy, I'd allowed that door to remain open and the enemy snuck in and stole from me. But now I'm aware. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Your adversary, the devil, because your adversary... Your adversary, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, the enemy is your adversary. He, his intent is to devour, but your part is to resist. Resist with faith, taking the shield of faith through which you are able to resist every fiery dart, every flaming missile, the Amplified says, every, every demonic attack, you are able to resist it. So we're not afraid of him. We're aware that we have an adversary and we're walking in faith and maintaining our lives with all the doors shut. Amen? And so he says, resist, steadfast. So there's a steadfast resistance of faith in this. But first, it began with humbling yourself under the hand of God. James chapter 4 and verse 7 also brings out both the submitting to God and the resisting of the enemy. So we put on the armor of God so that we can stand against all the attack of the enemy, all the wiles of the enemy. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that we can steadfastly resist him. It says in James chapter 4 and verse 7, Seven, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's written for you to know, I resist, he flees. I don't need to feel like he's fleeing. I don't need to see anything to believe that he's fleeing. I have scripture that says, I have resisted the devil. He will flee. Amen? Amen. But again, it starts with submitting. 
you submit to God. So without the submitting to God, without the humbling of ourselves to God, without the putting on the whole armor of God, or you could say submitting to that righteousness that we are in Christ Jesus, submitting to the salvation that's made available to us. Without that, we, don't, we aren't dressed to resist the devil. We're not equipped without the equipping, without us first taking and putting the equipment on, then we are capable of resisting him. Hallelujah. So how do we submit to God? How do we humble ourselves under the, under the mighty hand of God? This is our part. We want to do our part. Amen? We want to do our part. Well, we become doers of the word. We become doers of the word. And when it's talking about, for instance, our lifestyle, we need to know what does the word say that we are to do. So let's look at some of the things that the word says for us to act on. New Testament instructions for us. And the first one I have for you is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll begin in verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are the temple of the living God? You know, the more that I have built faith in the fact that I believe God lives in me, that his presence dwells in me, the easier it is for me to walk in a way that's pleasing to him because I'm aware that he's in me. So faith in the fact that you are a temple of God is going to help you walk like a temple. Talk like a temple. What you'll watch on TV is going to be, be with full awareness that I'm a temple of God. The Holy Spirit himself lives in me, and he doesn't want to watch that, so I'm not going to watch it. Amen? It's faith that I'm the temple. Faith that greater is he who is in me. Faith that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me. He's in me. And my faith in that truth helps me live like a temple of God. Before my lifestyle before Christ, I never saw myself as one who was accepted by God or loved by God. I, I didn't think God was interested in me at all. And so I carried myself like one who was offensive to God. It did, not, it did not bother me to wear shirts that had upside down crosses on them. I mean, I was Ozzy Osbourne's greatest fan. I had all of his records, Suicide Solution. I was the one who was wearing the Crazy Train t-shirt. Randy Rhodes, I thought he was one of the greatest guitarists. That I, and so I was dressed like one who was offensive to God. And it, I never put on that shirt that had all of that demonic pictures on it and thought about God. I never put it on and thought about God. I never did any of the things I did thinking about God. Why? Because I didn't have any faith that he cared about what I was doing. But once I became born again and I became aware of the fact that he loves me and that he has, loves me so much he cleansed me and, and made me new and put his spirit in me, I thought, I don't want to offend him. There was a, I still had things in my possession that after I got saved, I'm like, I, I, I filled up a dumpster. Why, that doesn't need to be in my house anymore. I don't need to listen to that anymore. Why, because, and it wasn't because people were standing around me saying, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. They didn't have to tell me that. My faith in his presence in me made me want to get rid of those things, made me want to change those things that I had once watched or once done. Amen? And so it's faith. 
It's faith. Not religion, not tradition, not laws and, and, and a bunch of do's and don'ts. They're not requirements that man is putting on us. These are things that we are by faith recognizing, I want to please my father. I want to walk in a way that makes him comfortable because he lives in me. <laughs> Amen? I want to be pleasing in his sight. So he says here, you are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God. Do you know what a privilege that is? Do you know what an honor it is that God said, I will be your God? He didn't have to do it, but he did. Do you see what a privilege? What, he said, I will be your God and you will be mine. I'll be your God and you'll be my child. You'll be my son. You'll be my daughter. I'll be your God. And that, with God saying that, wherefore, or that's why, this is why, come out from among them and be separate. Among what? Among people who don't believe in God. You know, there are a lot of people today who have not even thought about getting up and honoring God today. They're mowing their yard, they're firing up their grill, they're planning their pool parties, whatever it is that they're doing, God's not on their radar. God's not important to them. But he's important to us because he saved us. He purchased us. So why would I adopt the same mindset and the same value system of someone who doesn't value the one who saved me. So he said, there's a separation that we do. There's a lifestyle difference that we have just because of what we know and who we know. Come out from among them and be separate. Be separate. So that's one of the first things that we do to submit to God. It would be hard for someone to resist the devil who's not living separate. If they're living like the enemy and they're opening all the doors for the enemy to be in their life, how are they going to resist him? How are they going to resist the one that they're inviting in through their actions, that they're inviting in through their entertainment, that they're inviting in through their, their thoughts and their words? So he says, for you to be able to submit to God, we've got to be separate. I'm, this is a faith message. Go ahead and shout. I know you're excited about it. Amen. The Weiss translation of verse 17 says, Come out at once from their midst and separate yourselves at once and stop touching what is unclean. So he's a, the emphasis in the original language is at once. Come out at once. Separate yourselves at once. And stop touching that which is unclean. The second thing that I want to bring to you is found in Titus chapter 2. So the first thing we see that for us to submit to God, we separate, number one, from the lifestyle we know that is sinful. We separate from it. I don't want to watch anything that has nudity in it. I don't want to watch things where they are going to, to uh, do things that are not honoring to my God. And, and promote it. I don't want to watch people promoting things that are, are, are offensive to the one I serve. Amen? Glory to God. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation. Have we received that grace? John chapter 1 says we have received grace upon grace, spiritual gift heaped upon spiritual gift, says, in Christ we have received the fullness of that grace. In John 1, it says, the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and this is what grace teaches us. We need to learn the lessons that grace teaches. Grace teaches us that we deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, and we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Hallelujah. That's what grace is teaching us. 
Grace has appeared so that we can learn to deny ungodliness and to deny the desires of this world. So we separate, first of all, we deny ungodliness. We present our bodies. Romans chapter 12 says says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, these are our our responsibilities. God's not going to separate us for us. God's not going to make us deny ungodliness. We have to choose this. God's not going to make us present our bodies. We choose to present our bodies. It says in the Weiss translation, by a once and for all presentation. A once and for all presentation. We call that presenting of our bodies. Place your bodies at the disposal of God. Present your bodies. These eyes, I didn't buy these eyes. I didn't create these eyes. These eyes... God created these eyes, and then Jesus purchased me, and so these eyes belong to him. What am I doing putting my eyes on something? They're they're not mine. They're his. These hands, this heart, this mouth, it's his to do. So I present it to him. I present once and for all my body, placing my body. I'm I'm on call, Lord. Whatever you need done, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm here to to do your will. I'm here to live the life that you've prepared for me. Now, listen, we will not be at a loss of any good thing by choosing to deny ungodliness, by choosing to present our bodies. We're not going to be living a sorrowful, oh, boring, uh, stuffy life. No, we don't even know the things that God has planned for us, prepared and made ready for us. He says, the thoughts that I have for you, they are good with an end and an expectation, an end that's worth looking forward to. What God has for us is exceeding abundantly all we could ask above what we could ask above, exceeding abundantly above what we could ask. And so the life he has for us is a more than enough life. It's it's an abundant life. It's not going to be, if there's any ungodliness that we deny ourselves, it's not going to hurt us. It's only going to help us. I remember when my teenagers, my teenagers, when my kids, they're adults now, but when they were teenagers, they thought all of my rules were meant to destroy their social life. They thought, Mom just does not understand. Mom does not understand. She set this crazy curfew at midnight that I have to be in, you know, 10th grade, 11th grade, and she wants me in by midnight. Well, you better be glad I said midnight because I I don't think you need to be out past 11. Nothing good's going on at 2 o'clock in the morning for my 10th grader. But that's not the way they saw it. In their perception, this was my punishment. It it was a privilege for me. I thought it was a privilege. I thought I'm being pretty lenient for midnight, you know? Mom, how can you ruin my social life? All of my friends, I'm the only nerd that has to come home at midnight and everybody else gets to stay up till two. That's their parents' fault. That, their parents have to live with that. But my rule was for, and now, you know, they're in bed by 10, you know. <laughs> they're in bed by 10 as adults. They're like, why did I have all this desire to stay out till two? And whenever they did get in trouble like when they were spending the night at somebody else's or having a camp out or something, it always was about 2 o'clock that trouble was taking place. See what I told you? You don't have any business being out at 2 o'clock. It's all, it's all unprofitable. But a lot of people look at what we're talking about today, the lifestyle God has called us to a lifestyle of of separation, a lifestyle of denying ungodliness, and they think, oh, God, you're not letting me have any fun. Feeding the flesh is never fun. 
It may feel fun for a moment until you have to pay the price of what that flesh destroyed. Because it, the flesh always leads us to corruption. Is that what Romans chapter 8 says? It says the minding of the flesh or following after the flesh or doing what the flesh is encouraging us to do and then you mind that. The minding of the flesh is always leading to corruption. So what God is telling us is how to live free of the corruption. How to live lives that are honorable and safe. Honorable and full of the blessing. There's a fullness of joy. There's a fullness of peace. There's a freedom from fear that is available to us as we walk out this life. And it's not hard. It's not hard. Faith, faith to live holy, faith to live a separated life, faith knowing who I am in Christ. Let's say, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, pull up 1 Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 3. This is New Testament, and he's saying to them, I could not speak to you as people who are spiritual, but I have to speak to you as people who are fleshly. Do you see the, the contrast? Spiritual versus fleshly. And there was a whole revelation that they couldn't receive because of how they were living. And then he says this, it's a babe, a carnal person, is, is a person who is not matured in spiritual things. So a spiritual person is one who has developed past the flesh so that I can live in li- by faith. We walk by faith, right? I can live by faith in the Son of God. I can live holy by faith. I can live separated by faith. I can live and deny the ungodliness Why? Because I'm spiritual. And I know that for me to participate with that is not in line with the word. So let's look at the next verse, verse two. He says, I fed you with milk. That's the way that we grow. The milk of the word. I fed you with milk and not with meat. For before now, you were not able to bear the meat. And you're still not able, he says. You're still not able. Well, we know the Corinthian church, this whole first book of Corinthians was corrective. They had a lot of zeal. They had a lot of gifts of the Spirit. They had a lot of moving of the Spirit, but they had areas where people were living wrong. There was a, 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 one instance where he's having to deal with someone who has uh, started uh, having a relationship with his father's wife, his stepmother. And so what, uh, there was a lot of, of lifestyle, and so he's having to deal with their choices of living. He's having to deal with their walk. He's having to deal with their, their um, daily activities. And he says, you are yet carnal, and this is the evidence of the carnality. Envying, strife, and divisions. Envying, strife, and divisions. You're carnal and you're walking as mere. The Amplified says mere unchanged men. We're not mere unchanged human beings. We are born again. We are are children of light. Walk as children of light, he said. You're children of light, walk as children of light. Why did he have to say that? Because all of us have the opportunity to walk after the flesh. In Ephesians, Ephesians, you know why I like this chapter so much in Ephesians? I love before and after pictures. I love the makeover shows or the weight loss uh, testimonies because I like to see the before and I like them like, wow. Look at that makeover. Look what they did to that house. Look how that person lost, you know, uh, 57 pounds. Wow. 
I like that before and after. Well, Ephesians gives us a before and after picture. And when we look at this before and after picture, we can see ourselves before Christ, and then we can look in the Word and find ourselves after Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what we were. We were dead, spiritually dead. We weren't physically dead. We were still walking. He said, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So our spiritual condition was spiritual death. Where in time past, you walked. Now we're going to talk about the way we used to walk. Before Christ, we walked according to the course of this world. Whatever was going on in the world, how they were acting, what they were doing, what was normal. Like I said, I, I used to think everybody, everybody got drunk. Everybody gets high. Why? Because everybody I knew got high. I just thought that's what everybody does. In time past, we walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. In other words, that influence of the enemy would come and we would just respond. We didn't have any resistance because we were spiritually dead, so we just went with the flow. Unless we had some good teaching of good morals. Now, a lot of people have, because someone has raised them right, They've escaped some of the things because they yielded to that right raising and they had good morals. That doesn't save them, but it might protect them in their behavior. But we walked according to that flow. Verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. New Testament word conversation means behavior, lifestyle. If you're looking in the Strong's Concordance and you look that word up, you'll find out the word conversation is not talking about verbal communication. It's talking about lifestyle. So we all had our lifestyle in the times past in the desires of our flesh. Before you were born again, you had a soul and you lived in a body, but you didn't have spiritual light to help your decisions. You didn't have life of God in your spirit to help you to be able to do better. And so he says, we all had our lifestyle in whatever our flesh was craving, whatever our flesh was desiring, and we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We did what our flesh compelled us to do. And we were by nature the children of wrath. Not anymore. I was, but I'm not. You were, but you're not today. Today you are partakers of his divine nature. Do you see why we have to have faith in that? If people think, listen, listen to me, and pastor and I, pastor has done years and years of teaching 12-step from a Christian perspective. And in that 12 steps, in the original 12 steps, it is designed to lead you to the Bible. It's designed to lead you to the application of God's power in your life. But if a person says, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, I'm an alcoholic, and they develop that faith that even though they're a new creature and even though they've submitted themselves to God and even though old things are passed away and all things are created new, but I'm an alcoholic, then they have faith in something that's not even accurate according to Scripture. And as long as they continually confess I'm an alcoholic, the Bible says, let the weak say, I'm strong. It says that we're supposed to speak in line with the Word of God to activate what the Word of God says is true about us. It says in Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6 that we become more effectual in our faith as we acknowledge every good thing that is ours in Christ. So if we'll acknowledge what belongs to us in Christ, I have the mind of Christ. 
I'm renewing my mind by the word of God. I put on the mind of Christ right now, and I don't think like I used to think, but I think in line with the word of God. And we'll acknowledge what is ours in Christ, and we'll acknowledge I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not because I feel like it, not because anything on the outside has changed, but because the word says he became sin who knew no sin so that I could be made the righteousness of God in Christ. How can I be a sinner and be the righteousness of God in the same breath? How can I have faith that I'm an alcoholic and believe that he set me free? He that the son is set free is free indeed. I, I, I can't believe both. For me to have in manifestation the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free, I've got to believe that he that the son is set free is free indeed. For me to believe that I have the victory that overcomes the world, I have to believe that God always causes me to triumph. God always gives me the victory in Christ Jesus. I have to believe it so I can walk in it. So in the past, I was of a different nature and I yielded to that disobedience, but I'm not of that nature and I don't yield to disobedience anymore. That was my before Christ picture. But here's my after picture. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sin, he hath quickened us together with Christ. I'm alive. Quickened means to bring alive. To bring alive. He's quickened us together with Christ and has raised us up together and made us sit together. I think there are a lot of people who deal with things that they shouldn't have to deal with because they don't realize where they sit. If they had faith where they sat, if they had faith that I'm seated together with Christ at the right hand of the Father, they wouldn't let that situation push them around the way it pushes them around. Like, wait a minute, don't you know where I'm sitting? Don't you know I'm at the right hand of the Father? That's the place of authority. I have authority. I've been seated together with Christ above all principalities, far above all principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. Above all, I'm seated together with Christ. Uh, Faith in my position will cause me to respond differently to that situation. Faith in my righteousness causes me to resist the disobedience. Look at Romans, and I'm going to close right here. I'm going to unhook, and we'll hook back up. You know, like you get a, a, the, the cars of the train, you know, they get, you got to get to stop and just unhook that, that train car for just a minute here. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you believe you're dead to sin? There was a time I didn't believe it. I was a new Christian. I didn't understand. And I thought I had to do what sin told me to do. I was, I was practiced in yielding to sin. Sin came and I, I said, yes, sir. I did what sin told me to do. I had lived for so long in addiction that I was used to when that addiction would come and it would come with force. It would come with a subjection, a a subjugation to it. It it would come and dominate. It would come and dominate my thoughts so that all I could think about was getting that next fix. It would come and dominate. It would dominate my emotions, dominate my feelings. I remember, listen, I didn't have a dollar to buy my children a Christmas present from the dollar store. And somebody came on Christmas, the Christmas Eve and gave me a Christmas card with $50 in it. And I didn't run down to the dollar store and get my kids something for their Christmas present. I went to the, to the projects and got drugs because it subjugated, it dominated, it drove me. And so here I am after I got born again. I got born again and I'm free from that not realizing how free I am, and the thought came, and the, I, would, I was driving through an area of town that I used to go get high in, 
And the, all of the thoughts came and the feelings came. And I started saying, God, I thought I was saved. God, I've rep- I'm sorry. I just felt so dirty. I felt so wrong. And I hadn't done anything. I hadn't acted on anything. But that, that domination of that addiction was trying to get me to respond to it. But thank God for the word that my pastors had been putting in my spirit. Because when that thing came and all the feelings were there, my mouth was watering, my hands were sweating, everything in me wanted to turn and go in the direction that I knew I could go. And, And But on the inside of me, the word stood up. The who I am in Christ stood up, and, I, and 2 Corinthians 5.17 rescued me. Old things are passed away. That's not me. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that lifestyle anymore. I don't want to go that direction anymore. And even though nobody else was in the car with me, there was nobody there stopping me from, from doing it. But I had the power in my spirit to resist everything the enemy was tempting me to do. I did not have to obey the sin that once dominated me. I was dead to sin. It says, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can that happen? If I I believe I'm dead to it, if I have faith, that that no longer dominates me. Verse 4, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Why? I've died to sin. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive unto him. And I can walk in a new way. I can walk in a way that is dominated by his life, that is governed by his life in me. Hallelujah. Knowing this, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man, our before Christ, that person we, we looked at from Ephesians 2, that person that was always... Uh, following the impulses or the desires of the flesh, that person is crucified with Christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed. That from now on, henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is free from sin. I've died with, do you believe you died with Christ? Do you believe that the old you is dead? Do you see these, these, these specifics of our faith? I am not the same person that I was before Christ. That person is dead. That person died when I believed on Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. I died with him. I am crucified together with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, Galatians 2.20. Yet it is not I that live, it's Christ who lives in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. The life that I'm living, I'm living it by faith. This separated life, it's not about do's and don'ts. It's about our faith. This denying the ungodliness is not about do's and don'ts. It's living by faith. This is is the faith walk. I believe I'm dead to sin. I believe that. So it's not hard to not sin if you believe you're dead to it. It's not hard. It's not something that's rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and, and some kind of hard uh, man-made tradition or religion that's being imposed upon me. No, nope. I have faith that I'm dead to sin. I know what sin does. Sin destroys. The wages of sin is death. I have, I, I'm aware of that. You know why I'm aware of that? Because Jesus paid my sin debt. 
if he had not paid the price that he paid for me, I would die for the sins I've committed. Because the wages of sin is death. I deserved to die. You and I all, all of us, we have sinned and come short of the glory. We all deserved to die. But the grace that teaches us to deny ungodliness, that grace, by grace we are saved, it, it teaches us that he paid the price so that we don't have to die, but we can live, but we're not free to live the life we lived in sin. Do you see that? I'm, I'm alive, but the life that I now live is, is a life of faith in him. He didn't save me so I could go back and live the way I lived before. Because what's going to happen is that destruction, all brand new, come right back in. All of the open doors. So he saved me and gave me a better life. Gave me a life that is a protected life. A life that if I will live this life he gave me and keep myself in, in, in him, submitted to God, if I will keep myself submitted to God and clothed in Christ, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the enemy will never trip me up. I'll never be found in the snare of the devil if I stay in Christ. Amen. He is able to keep. The Bible says he is able to keep those. Us. He's able to keep us if we'll stay in him. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for trusting us with this new life in Christ. Lord, teach us how to yield ourselves as members of righteousness. How to yield and present our bodies to you as living sacrifices. Father, strengthen our faith in the fact that we are dead to sin and strengthen our faith in the fact that we are alive unto you in Christ Jesus. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would see themselves as blood-washed, cleansed, righteous, holy, separated, more than conquerors, victorious children and heirs of God. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as Lord, maybe you're watching online and you've never accepted Jesus as Lord, everything we've talked about comes as a result of accepting the sacrifice that he paid on the cross for us. His death, his resurrection is our death to sin and resurrection into the new life in God. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Michelle, I need to accept Jesus as my Lord. Maybe you're watching online. I just want you to pray this with me right now. Say out of the abundance of your heart, I believe God raised Jesus from the dead. By the blood Jesus shed, I am free from sin. I am cleansed and made new. Today I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord as my Savior, all that you have done for me, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you declare Jesus as your Lord, you are saved. And we're thankful for what that salvation does for our future. Not just our our time after we leave this earth, but here and now, salvation is working for us. Amen? Praise God. Well, stand with me to your feet as we prepare to dismiss today.